Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equity, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, to call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to thank our friends at City AM. They've given Diversity Podcast a new home at Impact AM. Their pages dedicated to ESG, Impact Investment, DE&I, and more. And we really appreciate that they publish and promote both our episodes and our supporting blog series so their readers can stay right on top of the very latest diversity, equity and inclusion debate. So thank you to City AM. Now, I've been really looking forward to this episode because I'm joined by two wonderful guests, Sophie Crees and Eleanor Mills. Sophie Crees is the founder of Motherboard, a business charter, community and event series driving tangible change for mums working in the tech industry. Motherboard is on a mission to transform the industry to become more inclusive of mothers by tackling stigmas and supporting employers. And as part of her movement to transform the workplace for women, she co-founded a business called Hayflow early 2023. Now Hayflow is an insight-driven data surveying and learning development tool. And it's designed to empower businesses to build truly inclusive companies by understanding the impact of female reproductive health in the workplace. Now, one other comment I would make is that she also, in her business model for Hayflow, contributes 5% of annual profits to contribute towards the entry-level education funding of UK female refugees. And it's all about accessing professional career opportunities. So, Sophie, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. And joining Sophie today is Eleanor Mills. She's a journalist, diversity campaigner and entrepreneur. She is the founder and editor-in-chief of Noon.org.uk, a new platform for women in midlife, and she calls them Queen Ages, which is dedicated to challenging gendered ageism, changing the cultural narrative about the later stages of women's lives, and helping brands to connect with this underserved but lucrative cohort. She's also been a former chair of Women in Journalism UK, and for 23 years, she worked as a senior executive at the Sunday Times as its editorial director and as an award-winning editor of the Sunday Times magazine. She was an interviewer, a columnist, and a prize-winning feature writer. She appears regularly on TV and radio, and her publications include Cupcakes and Kalashnikovs, 100 Years of the Best Journalism by Women, and a book about Queen Ages is due to be published in 2024. A couple of other things I would add, she's on the steering committee of the Global 30% Club, and she's also a special advisor to the Centre of Ageing Better. Eleanor, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks very much for having me. So listen, I'm so curious. I mean, those introductions are phenomenal, but I'm really keen to hear from both of you. Sophie, I'm coming to you first of all. Uh, What are you focused on right now? Well, I've been focusing on the motherhood space for the last few years, specifically within the tech industry. And I think we've broadly moved on from why it's important to have more women in the tech industry, women within leadership, women within boardrooms. But the problem for many is how we do this. Um, And businesses want to have quick fixes uh, because of the pressure to close their gender pay gap, 
um, and create more balanced teams. Um, however, there's no quick fix here. Uh, we can't just scratch the surface and think job done. So I'm currently delving deep into the issues women are facing at work and how this is affecting retaining women in the workplace. Um, I believe the entire span of a women's working career is affected by female reproductive health and the lack of understanding around this. Um, whether that's debilitating period pain, pregnancy, return to work, menopause, all of this is affecting retaining women in the workplace. Um, and it largely comes down to education and understanding from leaders. So I'm currently working on supporting businesses on how to gather real insight into their female workforce so that we can action this change. Um, I'm also supporting um, businesses who are introducing specific reproductive health policies, such as period policies, um, and understanding how these are implemented in the workplace in reality to ensure they are effective, not just another policy that uh, achieves little. Fabulous. And, and, you know, one of the episodes we've uh, we've also produced is uh, thinking about how the organisational design of spaces that very much flows into everything you were saying there about understanding the reproductive journey of women, uh, as well as the, the broader inclusivity into disability. That's, that's another sort of dynamic to it as well. And, and to hearing your work around the pay gap as well. That's something we're very, very focused on uh, at Diversity Podcast in future episodes as well. So looking forward to your thoughts on, uh, well, uh, well, we will certainly unpick some of that. Love it. Uh, Eleanor, can I come to you as well? I'd love to hear what you're particularly focused on right now. Well, I have been campaigning in this space about how we get more women, uh, particularly to kind of to the top of business. And the, the theme for this year's International Women's Day was embracing equity. I mean, I have to say it's brilliant what Sophie's doing, but I find it slightly depressing. I'm 52. I had two children. My oldest is 20 uh, while working as a senior executive um, in the British media. It feels depressing to me that two decades on, so much of that remains unfixed. Um, and my, but my present focus is on the intersectionality of where gender meets age. Um, the whole business of the ageing workforce is the huge bit of DEI. In fact, it's not even just DEI, it should be on every C-suite's agenda, because by 2025, um, over half the workforce will be over 50. Um, and very few companies are thinking about what that means to them, both in terms of the opportunities, huge numbers of innovation, there's a huge market out there of people who are really massively underserved at the moment. And so I think that there's a real, there's an interesting opportunity um, for businesses who get this right. We're also sitting on intergenerational um, workforce, intergenerational workforces where we've often got five different generations all working alongside each other, which we've never had before. And so my piece of that pie is both looking at that, um, that demographic kind of quake, which is coming our way and how businesses can prepare themselves for that. And I'm very interested in what I call queen ages, women 45 to 65, we are the first generation of women who have worked all the way through for whom working has been a norm, whose careers were generally not derailed by um, motherhood. It was tough, but a lot of us have kept on working all the way through. And that's there in the 2019 census. So then women over 40 start earning more money than women under 40 for the first time ever. So there have never been women like today's current queen ages um, hitting this phase before. And there have never been women who have worked all the way through. But what's interesting is that at the top of companies, the Queen Age of Quick is not happening as fast as it should. Um, I'm on the steering committee of the 30% club. We're now getting to 40% of women on boards, but far too many of those are non-exec directors. Um, actually, when we're looking at the steer code, the really important roles, the executive roles with hands-on levers, 
it's only about 16% women, maybe 20%, but it's a lot less. And we've got a real problem with an exodus of women of this age out of the corporate world. Uh, New McKinsey Lean In research showed that for every woman who was being made a director, two were leaving. It's research called The Great Breakup. Um, that's reflected in a big piece of research that we did at noon.org.uk with Accenture, um, which shows that uh, women of, of this age who should be moving into those leadership roles are actually increasingly disenchanted with um, with companies and are, and are hemorrhaging from the workforce. And we're never going to get to gender equality at the top if all those women who kind of made it thus far are, thus, are then kind of um, falling out. So we've got some really interesting data on how firms can retain those senior female executives. But I'm afraid the slightly depressing news is that they are not really looking at that, that it's not a piece of the jigsaw puzzle um, which is being really focused upon, which it should be, because they are this absolutely key part of the talent pipeline. And they also act as a kind of spearhead, as a canary in the coal mine for diversity more broadly within companies. So what we also see is that women are leaving companies who talk the talk on DEI but don't walk the walk, are companies where they really mean it, and that flexibility is 16 times more important to queen ages in the workplace than pure status. But status is the way that senior executives are rewarded. So there's a real discrepancy between what senior women want and what senior women are getting. And then when you play into that, the gendered ageism and the discrimination that they face, and around menopause and all of those kinds of things, and, and the fact that the top of business is still very much a boys' club, we are not getting the progress of senior um, women into leadership positions than, that we should be. Mm. Um, and then allied to that, there's a huge um, consumer opportunity with these women because they're also behind over 90% of all household consumer spending decisions, um, and yet they feel massively underrepresented by brands. And again, our research really points that up. So mm. there's a huge hole here, and there's very bit, very few bits of the kind of marketeers map, which are generally kind of unexplored territory. When I interviewed Cheryl Sandberg last year, um, who was at Meta um, and who founded Lean In, she said to me that she thought that these women were the most under, the most lucrative and underserved cohort in the whole of the, you know, the kind of marketing kind of world. So I think that there's a real opportunity there, mm. and because of the gendered ageism in our society, too many companies and brands aren't thinking about it. And, and as I just sort of, sort of sit and listen to, to those opening remarks, I mean, it strikes me there are sort of four or five really key dynamics that, that come from that. So one of them is about um, the, the demographic reality of uh, shifting demographics within the organisation and society. One of them is about the purchasing power and the economic power and contribution that this, this cohort can make. The third is about the enlightened leadership at the very, very top to in order to, to inspire that pipeline and retain that pipeline. And then the other is also just around, around the inspiration of um, or that this can flow into the next generation is another big thought that comes to mind. But then the last piece being really to think about, um, you know, we've never had this before. You know, actually, it's talking about this 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 generation that is bringing huge contribution. Um, but I'm concerned by this this remark about the departure, the leaving, if you like. And Sophie, I wonder if I could bring you in here because I'd love to 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 um, spend a bit of time with you thinking about. You know, uh, I've heard rumours about a fifty percent drop off. 
um, of women when they reach childbearing age, particularly in the world of technology as well. And your thoughts about how do we prevent this and uh, how do we help returning mothers stay in organisations and be really inspired to the pathway that, that Ellen is also describing as having enormous potential for them? Yeah, I mean, it's a particularly shocking stat, isn't it? 50% of women leaving the tech industry by the time they're 35. And through my work in, in this space, um, in motherhood, um, it is a direct impact of motherhood and not having um, an inclusive return to work. Um, and tech is particularly poor in this area. Um, so in terms of kind of takeaways, what we can do, um, it's essential that employees, uh, employers sorry, understand their workforce better. Um, and even with the best intentions, often businesses are assuming what their returning mothers need without actually speaking to them directly first. So, for example, whether that's assuming that a mother returning to work will want to pursue, um, not pursue that next promotion, or that they will just slip back into work just fine. Um, they won't need check-ins because, for example, they're a director or of a senior level. Um, businesses need to understand everyone's individual needs and take the time to plan accordin accordingly. Um, Beyond that, we need to make sure communication is clear whilst women are off on maternity leave. So company updates need to be shared, returners need to feel valued. In tech specifically, um, returners in technical roles need to be upskilled um, and have a clear return to work plan. Um, naturally, there is going to be a gap if somebody's been off for a year um, with their coding abilities, etc. It's a very quick fix. Um, and unfortunately, we're seeing that that is not being done. Um, I've heard of countless mothers that have returned to work with no meetings in their diaries, no check-ins, all the check-ins only last for the first couple of months. Um, and then it's almost forgotten that the juggle uh, doesn't end. Um, you know, the, the juggle still continues and actually it can be worse beyond those first few months um, as uh, we get into the routine and uh, that adrenaline isn't quite there. Um, it's never ending. So. Businesses need to ensure that when they're implementing return to work policies, it's not just a tick box exercise and the implementation of these is decent and consistent. Um, and I also believe businesses need to look into their paternity leave policies and make them competitive until we break down the barriers that women are the primary caregivers. Uh, we won't have equity. It's interesting listening to you talk about that because so much of that is based upon sort of assumption and I'd almost kind of say commitment to consistency is sort of what sort of bubbles up for me when I, when I listen to you talk about that. And I've heard a lot of people talk about um, you know, this question about upskilling. And you know what's occurred to me more recently, more than ever before, is you know we talk about the pace of change. So of course anybody who's off for a year's maternity leave, you know, may just go, oh, I just get behind very very quickly. Now, I work in the world of technology, in financial services and technology, and I hear everybody talk about the pace of you know, kind of new applications and new enterprise-wide technologies and new ways of coding and building and developing and implementing. And you know, it actually, it strikes me that if you were to harness the potential of returning mothers, you could actually leapfrog very quickly because by upskilling them, it's actually a means in which to make sure that your returning teams are always at the very edge of best practice because your, your established teams, if I could call them that, are the ones who are, just, who are kind of cantering along at, at regular business as usual. It's a huge opportunity to bring them in. Well, I mean, or is that naive of me? I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. No, absolutely. I think I'm speaking with businesses about, quite often they're just not aware um, of the, um, the impact of not upskilling. Um, and upskilling should be 
consistent there should be budgets for everybody within a business to be upskilled consistently i think uh, where the problem starts with returning mothers is that they may be upskilling um, and feel like with people that aren't currently on maternity leave that that's a good investment and i fear that they don't feel that it's necessarily a good investment to uh, to be spending that time upskilling or putting returning mothers on those courses and quite often they may be sidelined for opportunities um, and and that's really concerning. Well let me bring in Eleanor at this point because um because it strikes me as if we start looking ahead in terms of the 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 returning population of working mothers to the workplace but plus also you were talking about you know kind of the the, the next stage of life when the children arguably are older you've described your own personal circumstances as well and and I was sort of few things I was thinking about in my research ahead of the interview was to the point about upskilling and skills absorption and and getting the benefit from it but I know you're concerned about there's a potential brain drain if we're not retaining and motivating this cohort of women as they come through this journey, we're at risk of an even greater amplified drop off. I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that. Well, I have to say, uh, Sophie, it really pains me to hear that things are so bad in the tech industry, particularly because the tech industry is the kind of at the forefront of the kind of new the, the kind of new culture. And I remember when we were all being castigated in kind of legacy media that the tech was the future, that everyone thought that it was going to herald a whole kind of bright new dawn of kind of DEI policies and you know inclusive workplaces. I mean I have to say all the people I know who work for the tech giants have found it to be anywhere but that where they spoke. I had a lot of rhetoric about how they had inclusive, you know, return to work policies and parental leave and stuff. But if you actually asked, dared to ask for any flexibility or expect it, then you were going to be you were in big trouble and you didn't last there very long. I mean, I've seen that in many mm. close friends of mine. Um, and I also think it's interesting, like, having been to kind of Facebook and interviewed Sheryl Sandberg and all of that kind of thing. But a lot of a lot of the talk is not really followed by the walk in, in those places. In fact, Cheryl said that she told me a good story about the tech industry, about how she'd um, spoken on a podcast about how she left the office at six and so that she could go home and have dinner with her children. And she was sent a whole bouquet of flowers from all the women at Yahoo going, well, if Cheryl's allowed to do it, then we are too, which I always thought was quite funny about the lack of kind of flexibility or thought about any of that kind of parental in the tech industry. I think what's interesting in relation to that and queen ages is when you talk to a woman of 50, you never know if she's going to have, um, you know, a 20 year old like I do or a or a two year old. Um, in fact, I was talking to a queen ager last night, who's got a four year old and a two year old who is very much in the kind of zone that, that Sophie's talking about. So I think when we think about women's lives, we have to be very aware of the fact that there are a lot of women who are now having their children much later. And so just because someone's a queen ager doesn't necessarily mean that they're not juggling very small children or indeed teenagers. So what we see, um, the pressures the pressures as women kind of age within the workforce, particularly between about 45 and 55, we get this real pinch point where you get a combination of divorce, bereavement, elderly parents, teenagers in trouble, um, your, some of your own health issues, a bit of menopause, all of those squeezes come together and often what gives them is the woman's career and but what we also see is that when they go through that pinch point and then they come out into the sunny uplands mm-hmm. where suddenly all those and Regina's are nodding where a lot of those tensions are resolved when your children leave home my my eldest is now at university um, and you suddenly have a lot of time 
and you can really apply yourself to your job and there's this massive sense of purpose and you see loads of women founding their businesses and really kind of powering up for a fantastic kind of 50s and 60s but the world is not kind of caught up with that mm -hmm. so the fact that we have a greater health span and we're living longer and that women now have this extra bit of time you know say from 50 to 75 when we're all going to have to keep on working where actually rather than when they're in their 30s when everything wants to keep us at once you actually do have an opportunity then i think as a pre-major you really come into your power you've got all that experience all that skill set you're still really hungry to learn you move into a sense of purpose for a lot of the women who don't have children their work very much is their legacy and they they feel really passionate about that so they're moving off into kind of like purpose-filled projects but what i think the working world has caught up with is that extra runway that women now have in their lives and particularly in their working lives and yet gender ageism means that all too often i see so many women who are made redundant at 50. i mean within the media it's almost like as you come up to 50 you will get whacked um and it's the same if you look at kind of advertising and marketing the numbers of women in say media agencies over 50 is less than two percent mm -hmm. so there's a massive um i think kind of like a brain block about the shifts that are going on in demographics, what that means for women's careers particularly, and the sense that, that careers can be kind of more wiggly and not so linear. But actually, what I love about the prenatal work is, is it extends the runway for all women. I mean, part of the reason I'm really campaigning on this is I want my own daughters to look forward to being 50 is when they come into their prime, not to feel that they're past some ridiculous sell-by date, and, but I don't think employers have caught up with that. Yeah. And there's still much, much of an idea in our culture that men uh, you know, age like fine wine and kind of see the silver foxes, whereas women are seen as peaches, you know, one wrinkle and you're you're in the bin. And mm. I love, I really love things like Michelle Yeoh, who's been winning an Oscar and say, don't let anybody ever tell you that you're, you're past your prime. Because I think that that's really true of women. And it goes to a deep sense in our culture of what we value women for. Well, well, Sophie, let me bring you in here because I'm keen to hear, as we listen to Eleanor's uh, remarks there with the groups of women you work with, you know, what can we learn from this concept of queen ages? Well, I think we can learn a lot, but I think Eleanor's points are essential. And uh, I've got two children. I have a very wide range of ages in the groups of my friends that have children the same age. And, you know, multiple uh, women of my closest friends are, are in their 40s. One of them has even luckily retired, which is incredible. It's complex and, it, and you're right. It, I think the important thing is to understand that we should not have to achieve everything by the time that we are 30. And I think there is this real pressure on the younger generation of women and men in their 20s that startups, for example, are purely for men in their 20s. And, and that's absolutely not the case. Um, it's really important to be reminded of that, that just because you haven't achieved everything in your career by the time you have um, a child, if you choose to do so, that doesn't matter. There is still a long time ahead um, and we see some incredible female founders that have set up businesses that are queen ages. Um, so, yeah, in terms of uh, what um, what we can learn from, um, from Eleanor, um, I think midlife women are absolutely essential to the workforce. First of all, we know that the government is pushing uh, returners um, and those returners include midlife women, um, mums, etc. Um, so we know that is, is partly on the agenda. But I and, and and naturally midlife women, of course, they bring a wealth of experience, knowledge, confidence, amongst many other things. 
and I heard this really interesting concept um, at an event recently about the mentor sandwich um, of having um, women that are at the top of their career later in life um, have um, gone through all those struggles mentoring women that are in the um, the middle of their career or uh, earlier and then also that person they're mentoring somebody that's at the early stage so you've got everybody's passing on that information beautifully to each other which is great but in terms of kind of foundations and and what women can do to ensure that they are they have support long term through their families etc I think it's really important that women are having open conversations and are setting out what they want to achieve with their own lives with their partners with their families and it not being that we always have to be the ones that that uh, that leave our careers it's also important the onus is put on employers at this point as well to ensure that it's as you've mentioned Elna there are there are so many benefits of um, of having you know women within senior leadership roles etc but we need to make sure that the onus is put on employers it can't always be about women have to fight and we have to try to to fight our way through because that can become very tiring and we hear of some of the most incredible women that have left their jobs it has got nothing to do with pay it has got nothing to do with childcare costs in those circumstances you know for these women that are incredibly successful what we need to do is ensure that um, our employers and society is set up to support women properly throughout their their careers and i think that, that sort of comes back to the leadership the culture we talked about the flexible working but also the, the kind of the, the recognizing the huge huge contribution that could be made what i love about our discussion so far is it's been not only very um considered from many different perspectives and angles we've also had some great data and statistics and of course this is a great moment to bring in cynthia akinsanya for some research to support today's discussion A study by the research group Catalyst found that women under 45 were almost twice as likely to be called back for a second interview than older women. Yet women over 50 are the fastest growing group of the UK workforce, while in the United States, women aged 45 to 64 years make up almost a fifth of its workforce. When the average age of a CEO is 56, women experiencing the menopause as well as gendered ageism are facing fundamental barriers in their career progression. In a survey by HR training providers DPG, an overwhelming 9 in 10 mothers, 87%, faced issues when returning to work after maternity leave. Findings also revealed that on returning to work, 17% feel marginalised or excluded by colleagues, and over 1 in 10, 14%, miss out on promotions because of maternity leave. 1 in 5, 19%, even find it necessary to leave their position altogether. Well, thank you, Cynthia, as always, for the research. And let me just take a few moments to remind everybody how to find Diverse City Podcast and that links to the research can be found on our website, diversecitypodcast.com. That's where you can find all the episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Do also sign up for our newsletter. It's called DE&I That Caught Our Eye, where we share news stories and updates so you can stay on top of what's current. 
Do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn and Diverse City Podcast. It's available on all good podcast channels and we're immensely proud of our five star rating. Uh, if you would like to rate us, we'd be delighted because it does all help to spread the word and promote the show. So uh, let's look, let's go into the last um, section of the show, which is the question that I ask all our guests because I do feel deeply passionate that this must remain high. And as Eleanor, you mentioned, you know, on the board level agenda of why this this subject around diversity, equity, inclusion, particularly thinking about the female dynamics throughout the career journey, is so important. So I would love to uh, come to you for your remaining thoughts about why, when we navigate these quite interesting, challenging times, it must remain high. So, Sophie, I'm going to come to you first of all. Uh, your compelling reasons why it's so important. Well, I think from this conversation, it's it's clear that the work is is not done. Um, in fact, it's moving at snail pace. Um, if businesses truly want to see more women in leadership, more women in management and more gender balanced team, DEI has to remain uh, on the agenda. Um, it's not as simple as getting uh, talent acquisition teams to find more women uh, for the recruitment pipeline, um, partly because there's not enough women to fill those senior roles. Um, so DEI strategy needs to go way above just looking at retention stats. Uh, we need to see corporates understanding that a policy is not going to magic up women taking up these roles. Um, however, putting the emphasis on management, empathy, education, training, um, and true understanding, that is when we will see the shift. Um, and it's long term, it's not a quick fix, so it must remain the top priority. And thank you for everything you do to uh, to play your part in making sure that those those themes and topics come come through and land well, really important. Eleanor, your final thoughts, if you would, about why this must remain high on the agenda. Well, I don't think the whole business of senior women and the, the, the problems facing and the pinch points facing queen ages has even begun to be discussed. I mean, as we as I started out by saying, this is a pioneering generation. We are the first women to have got to this point in the workforce in such numbers. And I don't think there's any understanding of the kinds of pressures that are, are pushing down upon us and things which are stopping the women getting kind of through the Mardi Pan layer, through to the icing where we need them to take up the reins of leadership if we're really going to change the culture. There is still a real barrier to women breaking through that very top glass ceiling and all the things that Sophie talks about are completely right. But the point is that we're still expected to exist as women in a man's culture and that is not really shifting and it's going to take a lot longer but part of the way that we make that happen is by understanding that we are at the beginning of a road we're nowhere near equality and all the different intersectionalities of this point that out and i get acute i write a lot in all the different newspapers and i get lots of men kind of pushing back saying oh no well everyone's now just discriminating against men accusing me of misery and what i say is okay we can have a conversation around how men are discriminated against when there are 90 so 92 women running FTSE 100 and only eight men. I mean, if we're so far away from equality, it's a joke. Eleanor Mills, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I've admired your work uh, consistently and regularly, and I don't know whether you feel like I've been stalking you in any way, shape or form. As a Queen Ager myself, uh, I love the work you do. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. No, Paul, thank you very much for having me. And I just think that this whole business about executive women and how we really get women to the top, it's its a thread which goes through all of this, from the Queen Ages down to the very first women meeting, you know, first coming into the workplace. And it is not fixed. We are at the beginning. 
but it won't be the last time we have this conversation for sure. And Sophie Crees, thank you so much for everything you do and for taking the time to be with us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. And to everybody who has tuned in, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Thank you for joining us. I've been Julia Streets, and until next time, goodbye. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by Roshan Roberts on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. You can find out more about the guests from this week's show on our website. That's www.diversitypodcast.com. That's diversity with a C and not an S. Whilst you were there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. And finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.